Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what is likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. As the war in Ukraine rages on, new details have come to light about how the CIA predicted things would go, and it turns out they got a lot wrong. This week, we are discussing the failures of the agency so far in its forecasts of how the war would play out. Keith, to start us off and to get a better background on this topic, what role does the Central Intelligence Agency have in all of this? Yes, the United States has a network of spy agencies. The most well-known is CIA. You also have the National Security Agency, NSA, which runs the world's biggest computer system. NSA stands for No Such Agency or Never Say Anything. (laughs) Thought you were serious for a moment. (laughs) CIA is the one that's always in the public eye, but you've got to bear in mind that it sits atop a vast network of agencies, including a completely separate agency that just looks at photographs, etc. So you've got a, a whole intelligence community in Washington. It's not just CIA. So the Central Intelligence Agency, like all the other ones, were established uh, basically after World War II. After World War I, the Americans decided that they would not have any further intelligence gathering. They had a bit of it in World War I. They, as you know, they joined the war late, so they're only there for one year. And they thought that having the intelligence agency was un-American. Mm-hmm. And one of their secretaries of state said that gentlemen do not read other gentlemen's mail. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was, that was the period leading up to World War II. And then in World War II, it was actually the British who've been in the spying game for 400 years who gave some assistance to the Americans in how to set up intelligence agencies. Prior to that time, the only work coming close to domestic intelligence was run by FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And so during World War II, the Office of Strategic Services, which became CIA, got underway. And then after World War II, we we get this huge spread of intelligence agencies In Australia, we are linked through what's called the Five Eyes Agreement. So the Five Eyes are the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. And there's also a top secret agreement which was not revealed to politicians or the general public for um, about 30 years. The viewpoint of the agencies was that if you tell politicians, it'll end up in their memoirs they'll be talking so they wanted to remain secret. It was only some pioneers like the late Des Ball at the Australian National University that really got us thinking about what was going on, for example, at Pine Gap, which mm. is, I think, a story in itself. But that's uh, one of the most important bases CIA have outside the United States. CIA is um, at the top. Well, they would say they're at the top of the intelligence <laughs> gathering. FBI would say, oh, look, we're the ones who are also very important for domestic. So you get this rivalry. Mm. CIA is the one that's most in the public eye. It not only gathers intelligence, but it's also involved in coups to overthrow governments. There's continuing suspicion about links between CIA and the assassination of President Kennedy. Mm. There's legislation saying that CIA have to reveal all the documents that they know about the Kennedy assassination, which they've had now for over 60 years. 
And Trump, who loves all these conspiracy theories, said, yep, yeah, vote for me as president, I'll get them published. But he left office and CIA was still refusing to publish them. So CIA is the one for conspiracy theories mm-hmm. in the public eye, etc. And so um, that's why CIA gets so much attention. This agency, what did they predict would happen when Russia first invaded? Well, originally they got a lot of credit, including for people like me, <laughs> because they were giving information to Biden that the Russians were serious about invading Ukraine. A lot of us followed what's called the rational actor model of international relations thinking, which is whereby you assume that leaders are rational. And <laughs> to your detriment. <laughs> exactly. And if, and if you look at the predictions that we were making in January, you know, we were saying that the Russians would have real problems in sort of controlling the country, etc. There'd be international sanctions against Russia. So it wouldn't make sense for Putin to risk an invasion, mm. but obviously Putin wasn't listening to our radio programs. No. So he, he went ahead yeah. and everything that we were predicting turned out to be correct. Now, as I say, President Biden was one of the very few people predicting a Russian invasion of Ukraine. And some of us were accusing Biden of being a warmonger, but I've got to say, he got it right. And why did he get it right? Because he listened to CIA. Right. So CIA, through their spy satellites and all the other monitoring which they do, They've got a huge budget. They were able to see what the Russians were getting up to and that enabled the president correctly to predict an invasion when a lot of us were sceptical. And so a lot of us were congratulating CIA on their intelligence gathering, bearing in mind, as I say, they are part of that intelligence gathering community. They always take the credit, Mm. but you get others who are sort of interpreting photographs, etc., I think the average person just would have no idea just how transparent the world has now become, particularly when you link it up with organisations like Bellingcat, who do a lot of um, spying, if you like, or intelligence gathering on countries like Russia. And their argument is that in Russia, you can always find things out because everything's for sale. Mm. It's such a corrupt society that you can, for example, buy flight manifests. So in other words, the list of passengers So there was a well-known Russian dissident who was poisoned on board a plane and they were able to find out who was on the plane. You won't get a flight manifest off Qantas, for example. No, absolutely not. But they were able to buy it from the Russian airline. So as as I say, everything is so corrupt in Russia Mm. that it makes intelligence gathering, if you're shrewd enough with deep enough pockets, very interesting indeed. Mm. So the CIA actually predicted that Ukraine would fall within a matter of a couple of weeks. And this is where we run into the problem, right? Mm. So on the one hand, full marks to CIA, they got it right that Russia would invade at a time when a lot of us were sceptical of that. But then, as this article, which appears in the Intercept newsletter, uh, James Reeson, who's a well-known writer on US defence policy, as they then say, they got it right first stage, but then they got it wrong in terms of what they had to say about the chances of Ukraine being able to withstand an invasion. Mm. Um, and in fact, I'm sure that we probably did a podcast looking at this in the in the context of, you know, what I was talking about was a phase one and a phase two. A phase one would be the Russians quickly overrunning all of Ukraine so they could then invade the country, but that they would find it impossible to occupy it. And I was comparing it with Afghanistan, Mm. which they invaded for 10 years but never got control over Afghanistan. 
and they left, of course, in 1989. They were driven out by the Taliban. And so a lot of us were envisioning a new Afghanistan whereby the Russians, okay, they could get into the country, but they wouldn't be able to take control of it. There'd be guerrilla actions, etc. But in fact, the Ukrainians put up such a good struggle that the uh, Russians, even now, we're, what, eight, eight months on, even now the Russians have only managed to occupy 10% of the country, and even that is under threat. Mm. So we, we will see the liberation of Crimea in the next few months, which is a remarkable achievement. Yeah, absolutely. So the CIA gets it right in the first instance, gets it pretty badly wrong in the second. I mean, what's the explanation? <laughs> is it is it a fluke that they got it right the first time? Well, the article makes the point, and I, I'm, in retrospect, I've got to say I agree with it, that CIA are very good at looking at troops on the ground, the equipment that you've got, and so they were right to say the troop, the forces are massing and they could see where they were massing. That's the good news. The bad news is with all this sophisticated spy technology, the average person would be amazed to know just how detailed the spy technology has become. Even at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, so that's 60 years ago, the Americans were able to photograph a dustbin from outer space. Wow. There was that even 60 years ago. Yeah. Now, of course, you've got so many improvements with photography mm. and listening in on, on all the radio traffic. So that's the good sign. The bad sign is that CIA could not, in their intelligence gathering, assess the morale, the willingness to fight, the fact that a lot of the Russian soldiers are poorly equipped. Okay, they've got tanks, but the tanks are ineffective. Mm. And so the failure of CIA was actually on the soft side of intelligence. Um, so I'm, I'm making a distinction now between hard intelligence, which is you know assessing the number of troops on the ground, their equipment, etc., and the soft intelligence is what goes on in terms of morale, people's willingness to fight. The Russians are now rounding up three hundred thousand people to go in to fight, and a lot of them are just very unhappy with that. That's not a good way to to fight a war. On the other hand, the Ukrainians are fighting for their own land. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This week we're talking about the CIA's role in predicting what would happen in the war in Ukraine and how they got it so wrong. Keith, what are the current CIA capabilities in Ukraine? I understand when the invasion first happened and there was the expectation that it would only go for a couple of weeks, the US actually pulled out a bunch of its intelligence capabilities in Ukraine but then had to put them back in. Well, they withdrew them because they didn't want to have their people captured by the Russians. They were acting on their own observation. And so they then said, well, look, we had um, better withdraw our own people so they don't get captured by the Russians so we can secure their lives. Now, of course, months on, and the Russians have not got very far into Western Ukraine. And so now CIA are returning in force. And, of course, what they are also noticing is the weakness of the Russian fighting machine. Mm. Sure, they've got huge numbers, but they're pretty ineffective. This article looks at what's called jack-in-a-box in the tanks. If you go to get onto YouTube, there are horrific examples of what's involved. So the way in which we operate in the West is that with our tanks, the ammunition is kept in a separate sealed-off compartment. So you can hit the tank, but it won't ignite the ammunition. Right. It's in a separate sealed area. Yeah. 
Now, the Russian tanks are different. The Russians are certainly very strong in the front of their tank, but they've got a design flaw, which is that the tank shells are actually in the turret. Right. As you fire the shells, they rotate around, if you could imagine that. Oh, God. But what happens is that instead of hitting the main body of the tank, you hit the turret of the tank, and that then incinerates the tank from the inside. There is nothing left of the human beings. Mm. In fact, they even use the the expression that people get cooked. Yeah. So there, there's simply nothing left yeah. of anybody. So they've got, as I say, you go onto YouTube mm. and you can see this jack-in-a-box effect. The jack-in-a-box, I guess, comes from this way in which they're at the top of the tank and that's the bit that's weak. Now, what the Ukrainians have been able to do is that instead of having tank battles as such, using their tanks to fight the other side's tanks, they've got all sorts of little missiles. Uh And now they're actually looking at drones, which will just fly over a tank and drop an explosion on the turret. Right in there, yep. This is a problem for CIA that, yes, they can count the number of Russian tanks, but they don't get a good idea about how good the tanks are. And as this article points out, one of the basic problems for Russia is just the extent of the corruption. I'd already mentioned the um, uh, non-governmental organisation Bellingcat, but US intelligence did not recognise the significance of the rampant corruption and incompetence in the Putin regime. So they took the numbers on face, but they didn't really have a way of trying to assess just how effective this is going to be. I must admit, reading this article reminded me of my being at a Club of Rome meeting 30 years ago in Germany. I was on a table with some German industrialists and mm-hmm. on the adjoining table was Mikhail Gorbachev. So this is the time when the two Germanists had just come together. Right. And suddenly the West Germans realised that the East Germans was going to give them economic indigestion mm. because those of us who had travelled extensively behind the Iron Curtain had seen East Germany as being the most modern part of Eastern Europe. So the further east you go, the more backward the region becomes. But we all assumed that East Germany would be reasonably modern. But in fact, with the unification of the two Germanies, pretty well all of the factories in East Germany had to be demolished or at least thoroughly overhauled to bring them up to European Union standards. And so I mentioned this to the German industrialists. I said, well, why didn't your intelligence agencies get a better idea of just how vulnerable was the East German economy? Mm. And their reply was they were too busy counting tanks which is exactly the point being made in this article. Yes. In other words, you're counting the military equipment. You weren't actually trying to assess the state of the factories. So is that a case then of a lesson not learnt? You know, in the same <laughs> instance, we're seeing it re- history repeat itself. Absolutely. And you count what's easy to count. Yes. You know, what, what's easy to measure gets measured. And quite often what you can't measure is what's really important. And we're seeing that now with Ukraine. What has been really significant has been the ability of the Ukrainians to maintain very high morale. Remember, they're now heading into winter. It's Mm. going to get very cold. The Russians are deliberately attacking the energy infrastructure. The Russians have basically accepted that they're not going to win a land battle in eastern Ukraine. What they're just simply doing is trying to destroy as much of the western part of the country as they can, particularly the infrastructure, Mm. and make life difficult. Now, that won't work. We know that from bombing raids over Britain in World War II and then the Allied bombing raids of Germany. People do not break their spirit. The same with the American bombing in Vietnam. Mm. It doesn't work. 
But that's the military mentality that you're trying to bomb people into, into submission. submission. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, all this information we're kind of discussing, as you said, based off this Intercept article, but it quotes a bunch of sources. It's not official CIA communication saying, yes, here's what's happened. My question for you is, why do you think these agents are revealing this information to the media, you know, under the guise of anonymity? Well, what impresses me about the American system is the openness. 40 years ago, I read an article in The Australian dealing with how the Australian Defence Forces were being trained for urban warfare. Wow. Based on an American field manual. So I wrote to the Australian Department of Defence saying, have you got any information about being trained? And they said, no, we don't share that information with the general public. However, this was based on an American field manual, which I still have at home. And so I wrote to the Pentagon. Fair. And you send me a copy of it and they charged me, I think, a dollar fifty. Right. <laughs> and they sent but, it to you. Yes. Wow. Because, you know, freedom of information, all yeah. those even since nine eleven, when you've had this sort of moving into this um, military intelligence clampdown, which is of course wrecking the civil liberties in the West, moving us closer and closer towards a dictatorship. Nonetheless, you've still got, as this article shows, people in CIA and others who are willing to talk off the record about the problems within their own agency. In that respect, America, I think, is much better for intelligence gathering than the, than the Russians. Mm-hmm. The Russians, of course, we know that everything is for sale. In America, everything is for free. Yeah, right. So what are the stakes for the US here? Why is it so important for them to have good intelligence on the ground in Ukraine? Warfare is partly that of intelligence gathering. You need to have good intelligence gathering. You need to have experts. You need to have picked up the fact that Russia suffers from weak leadership, poor training and low morale. And these factors ultimately will work against Russia and I think will mean that ultimately Ukraine will win the war. These are things that are very difficult to assess because you've actually got to have people on the ground trying to investigate what is going on. And that's the real challenge for the intelligence community, not to be so obsessed with just counting tanks, but trying to measure the morale of the people inside those tanks. Keith, thank you for your insights this week. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic. Listener.